can I give you the intro that me and Carl were talking about in the car that may or not be actually in the cut? But just but that like inevitably is the premise of this, I feel like. We were trying to compile the knowledge we have of you personally. And I think our general consensus is that everyone who knows you knows you, but also has so many questions. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, what do I know about Rob? Born in Wilmington, like, family's been in Wilmington for a while. Did hard drugs at one point? Likes the Spurs? Oh, that's Left. correct. So, so far, for that's Binks. all right. Very about Gonzo. However, I've asked several sources. No one knows what you mean when you say it's Gonzo shit. Pe- the people have Good. questions. Good. I'm glad. We're maybe getting some answers today. <laughs> yes. I will say this. Like when people say like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's how I know that I'm doing it right. So we're in the shadow of Rockford Tower, in the belly of the beast, an encampment deep within Wilmington. We're dug in. We're keeping an eye on all of you. We're watching. We see what you're doing. And we're watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't keep. That I was trying. To, I was that trying so to. Um. I was trying to keep a straight face. I guess after like, 52 yeah. episodes, you really just do memorize. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I think I got the the, the gist cadence of it. was very impressive. You sound just like me. All right. So. Uh, yeah, as you might have, I think, heard in the intro or read in the description, we're uh, we're turning the tables a little bit. We got Margaret in here. Uh, Hello. <laughs> we got me in here, and we got Rob, but he's, well. If the president does it, it can't be illegal. Yeah. As a Frost Nixon. <laughs> uh, but we've, we've turned the tables a little bit. Uh, literally, well, we've moved the table. I don't know if we've turned it. I did tell you that when I was. rotated. Yeah, well, when I was setting it up, I, like I said, I was going to use the small table and the small chair over there and set you guys up over there, but then I realized it's not a visual medium, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So you can just imagine that the tables have turned and that... Uh, they are staring me down and, and we're Rob both is looking in the at Rob. Seat. Is that what and, it's called? Uh, it's not called that, anyway. We have done 50 episodes, uh, almost all of which have been Rob interviewing somebody else, but today we... Are interviewing Rob. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, just remember that uh, we have podcaster listener confidentiality, and nothing that you hear today can be used as evidence against Rob in court. If I hear anybody talking about this, I'm going to be very upset. So, in here, we always like to start with uh, how you got here, where you're from. Um, so uh, walk us through. So where were you born? Where did you grow up? So I was born in a hospital that's no longer there. It was like, I think it was called Wilmington General. Uh, it was over by like the Judy Johnson Park over like, um, I don't know what you would call that uh, now. What, what you would call that neighborhood. Um, you know what I'm talking about? It's like down from St. Francis. Um, my 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 parents and lived in... Richardson Park, which is like near Conrad, where Conrad is now. Now Conrad's like a art school now, but it was a high school then. And my science par- school, science school, whatever. Yeah, okay. I know it was like some kind of specialty thing. Um, so my parents both went to Conrad and lived in the neighborhood, and I grew up in that neighborhood, um, like right over by Banning Park. 
Yeah, I had two brothers. It was like a regular working class upbringing. You know, I lived like right off of Boxwood Road. And, um, you know, uh, the only the only thing that in retrospect sort of wasn't part of the neighborhood was I went to like a parochial school. So I went to St. Matthew's, which is right there off of Maryland Avenue. And then I went to St. Anthony's for seventh and eighth grade. Other than that, yeah, I'm just like a Wilmington neighborhood person. And so what would your uh, parents do for a living? So my pop uh, was a UPS driver, Teamster, like a union person. And then after, I think, 12 years, he went into management. But I can remember being a kid and like him being on strike and stuff, and I didn't really understand what it was. My mom uh, worked part-time, so she did, like, office management when we were in school. But then later on, when we got a little bit older, uh, she got trained in, like, Montessori school. And she was, like, a trained Montessori assistant. So she wasn't, a, she wasn't like, a, a teacher or a professor, but she could do, like, all the stuff that they do. And so that's what she did when we were a little bit older. And then my dad just was able to luckily retire when he was relatively young. And now they're both retired. Right. And so, as the uh, the Delawarean, before I let Margaret ask some questions, I have to ask the Delaware question, which is, uh, where'd you go to high school? <laughs> St. Mark's. Yeah, and you guys will uh, hear next week with our, we have a special guest for our year anniversary show who also went to St. Mark's. So I'll just leave that. That's a little teaser for you. And you went, uh, it's in the uh, 21st district from our last week's guest. That's right. I will tell you this. It's all connected. Spe- speaking of our last week's guest... Uh, a, uh, a a patron of ours just saw me at the pub when we were watching the football and said, uh, hey, that's the same guy who gets the beer, Greg. He was like, hey, I, who's who's that woman running against you had on last week? I said, I'm Mike Ramone. I said, Stephanie Barry. He was like, I might move to, to Pike Creek just to vote for her. I love everything she's talking about. So this is all working. We're spreading the we're spreading the good news. And I saw another uh, pod, former podcast guest who I saw on uh, Martin Luther King Day. And he said he'd also heard Stephanie Barry, and she was very impressive. So I love it's getting it. out there. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a huge huge fan of Stephanie. I like I said, I I had, I had met Sam when he came in here, and we had talked sort of offline, and I knew that she had run against Mike Ramone. And the funny thing is, I kind of knew Mike Ramone when I was younger because I'm from that area, obviously. Um, but yeah, I was it was did totally you to great. St. Mark's. I don't know. He probably did. I don't think so. Something like that. Yeah, I knew him because I was like, sw- I was a swimmer when I was a kid, so I would swim, and he was like, obviously like a swim coach. You know, he's like, you know, he uh, he steals the the wages of lifeguards and shit. He's pool folk, correct? But uh, I mean, he was a he was a decent guy. I so I knew him when I was a kid because he was involved in the in the swimming. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> See, this is what I knew I was going to be able to handle, Carl. But here, but I'm. Don't know what what's gonna happen. Right oh, now. I'm, a, I'm a very empathetic and I look. You got notes. Uh, uh, these these are our shared notes. It's okay. We're on the same page. Um. Well, so I guess talking about you and your upbringing, I feel like you mentioned a lot. Kind of, you know, you you being proud of your Italian heritage. Um. How far back does it stretch? Like, do you know? Like, when did ancestors might be too far away of a word but like when did your folks come to like united states like yeah so how my, long have they been in Wilmington, my maternal my mom's mom my maternal grandmother had siblings who were born in italy 
both of her parents were from Italy. Um, I think the story is that they either her father came and then went back, but her mother stayed, but then the father came back. There was like a, a right at the turn of the century, there was some movement back and forth. And they had originally kind of were in Boston. And then finally, when they settled, which was about, see, my grandmother was born in 1917. So this would have been like 21, 22, 23. They, they settled in Wilmington and they like right near this neighborhood. So my mother's family, extended family, has been in this neighborhood since the, for about a hundred years. My grandfather, my father's, uh, Mother and father are from Philadelphia. They were Italian into Philadelphia. So they were also uh, two generations back from Italy. My great-grandmother, my grandmom Angie, actually, though, lived in Brazil. She might have even been born in Brazil, but to an Italian family, and then they, they moved here. But I do know that she was Brazilian. Um, the only sort of, the only sort of uh, thing that shakes this up is my uh, paternal grandfather was... Um, like German, he's from Ohio. So he was like a farmer, Ohio farmer dude. Other than that, it's just the, it, back to Italy. So that's, that's that story. Cool. Is that too much detail? No. Am I giving good. you too much detail? <laughs> Sounds boring. Like, I don't know. That's what, that's, that's where they're from. Italy's an interesting place. Yeah. We need, this we is need where my, talk. uh, my grandma, my great, my great grandmother is from a town uh, near Naples, a little village called Batapalia. That's why I have that, uh, that tattoo. And the so when you get a football badge, uh, a star above your badge means you won a championship. So a mm. national team badge, say if you have three stars, it means you won three World Cups. Mm. So I put one star above for my grandma. Oh, that's she sweet. Was, well, it's good that we're getting Italian awareness, Italian rights, that's right. getting that into the open. Sacco and Vanzetti. All right, so we covered high school. Where did your education go after that? Yeah, so, like, this is real, like, basic normie shit because, like, you know, I sort of skated through high school. I played sports, but I wasn't extremely popular, but it was fine. Like, it was just very average. And so I went to the University of Delaware because I was able to get in right away. My grades were decent. And my, my pop was like, you can, you know, you can live there and do whatever you want because it was in-state tuition. So he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay for all that because it's not like you're not doing anything crazy and uh, I can cover it. So, yeah, so I lived for four years at the University of Delaware. I went to the University of Delaware. That was it and just did the, the normal. I mean, Carl can probably – it's probably not too different than what he's doing so except he actually reads the books and I never – What did you study? Political science. Political science. Yeah. Uh, I had uh, Jim Souls, Joe Pica, back Ingersoll. Remember guy Ingersoll? He wrote a bunch of books. I, I had him for. He taught a class called Communism, Fascism, and Democracy. It was pretty dope. Like I liked a lot of the classes actually, but I just didn't. I didn't really apply myself the way it's like Carl applied, or the way I would apply myself now if I knew like this is actually cool shit that I'm learning. Didn't get it. I was like uh, I had uh, what Susan would call Arrested Development. That's but, a good show. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I had four years, uh, bachelor's degree, political science. UD. Do you feel like, like, what sort of school thought, like, did you, were you already really 
like how do you study a lot of political theory did you already have like certain leanings when you entered college and how do you feel like like was it during college for instance where you maybe developed this like like obviously like very like left thinking persona interest in theory you have now like do you, do you trace it back to then or do you i feel don't like you were actually very different then? yeah i was i was pr- i mean this is actually pretty complicated um I took political science because I either wanted to be a history teacher or a lawyer. Oh, I, I would love you as my history teacher. So, yeah. like So I kind of knew what I no, liked. No, she didn't say lawyer. I, <laughs> I would be a fucking great lawyer. I'd be like, come <laughs> on. I would be like... Uh, but like, you don't, I you don't love your lawyer, but you can love your history teacher, I feel like. And I'm, and, it's a fair, it's a fair know, point. It's a I mean, I bet you OJ loved Johnny Cochran, though. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> But that so so I be, because I wasn't um you know I was a real kid like to, to be perfectly honest like I you know I know a little bit about Carl and I know he was sort of like event you know he went to, you know studied at at the charter and you know he's he's probably read more books he's probably read more books than me now and really focused on actually learning something and you, you know you went to an Ivy League school and you're doing important work now and, and I didn't do any of that. I just like just skated through. Like if I had to read a book or a book and a half during a semester, I could do that. I could write a paper, but I didn't really, I didn't have any kind of um, like focused idea. I want to do this. It was just sort of like this, Hey, I'm getting an opportunity to go to school, pick something that you can do something later and just figure it out later. And that was it. That's probably why I ended up (laughs) where I ended up. Speaking of uh, political stuff, I think now is the time to uh, explain yourself about the Hunter S. Thompson, Gonzo, uh, where that came from, how that influenced sort of your thinking. And we might have to jump back from that then to talk about some other stuff, but I think the listeners deserve to know. So... This is about, I want to say, 99, 98-99. I was working at a bank downtown, First USA. We'll get to that. <laughs> well, I, I understand. Um, and a bunch of friends of mine lived right in this neighborhood. And we I, there, was, there was some storm. I don't think it was snow. I think it might have been a hurricane or something, but... We were we all blew out of the office early and we went to hang out at this at the Skies place. Roseberry, I love you. Shout out. Um and we were we were doing huge bong rips and we were watching some crazy video. I mean, there was no internet or anything. We were just doing old-fashioned shit. And uh I was looking at his books. And he pulled out a book he pulled out Manufacturing Consent, the Chomsky book, and I had never heard of it. I'm like 23, 4. Um, and we started talking about it, and then he t- pulled out um, either Hell's Angels or Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I don't remember which one, which is the Thompson's, one of Thompson's early novels. Well, the Hell's Angels was sort of, again, this is the uh, Gonzo thing. It was sort of journalism, but it wasn't, you know. Um, and that sort of got me into like new journalism. So what Gonzo is, is you embed yourself, uh, into an event like you're a reporter, but then the story you write after it 
while it perfectly illustrates the situation you were in, is not nonfiction. That's Gonzo. It's like you're commenting in a way that's genuine to yourself, like yourself, but it's not accurate. It's just true. That's what it is. All right. Is that fair? That's like much deeper than I anticipated. Yeah? Yeah. Plus, I mean, acid, look. Because, <laughs> I mean, do you want to talk about, we can talk about drugs, I mean. Let's talk about it for a little I did talk yeah. about the bong rips and all that, but. I almost interjected and I was that like, Rob, do you smoke weed? Yeah. Do you smoke the devil's lettuce? You know what? <laughs> don't, don't get me started. Yeah, I mean, I, look. My, my personal, I, I have, uh, I've, 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 I've I've come to understand it as an anxiety problem. I don't know if it's a depression problem. I'm not sure what it is, but like it's not debilitating or anything. But if I don't treat it, I act out. Um, whether that means doing drugs, whether it means like doing things you could get arrested for, knowing that, you know, you have you could probably get out of it because you're just you, whatever. Um, yeah. So the idea of, um, the idea of being an intellectual while being a wild man, um, it's, you know, I, I liked it. I liked that idea. You know, that was it. So, yeah, I mean, there was like a personal thing to it where I'm like, oh, you can, you can actually read all these books and do all of this, but still just be like a maniac. Okay, that was the first time I was exposed to something like that. And speaking of the opposite of that, let's go back <laughs> to the bank. Oh, God. So we won't judge you too harshly. You are in Delaware after I all. I do. I mean, fair. Uh, and you were a UD student, and I've been to UD. Half the buildings there are named after banks. Uh, so how how do you make that transition from sort of not super interested, but like, you know, a workable poli sci student into a uh, soulless bank employee. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come clean on something that's, it might be one of my, the biggest things I'm embarrassed about, like considering what, you know, my, you know, what I think now, and I don't talk about it that much, but it'll kind of give you a good idea of what the fucking situation was. So I was in a fraternity. I lived in a fraternity house. It's not something I, you know. Rob Vanilla, frat bro. I agree. We forgive you. I'm just like. I mean, whoa. look, the original Bernie bro. Uh, folks, <laughs> I'm canceled. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Like I said, I, I, in, in context, I hope I can explain it. It's not something that I like. I'm not the guy who goes back to homecoming and be like, oh, I'm so glad I did this. But I, like, I'm, I, I did it. And I'm not going to fucking lie about it. Um, so as we got down to like senior year, I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. And a guy came back one afternoon who was like interning at MBNA and he was like, look, uh, give me your resume. I'm going to give it to this person and we'll just interview for you for this job. Like I didn't even really know what it was. So I did that They called me in, put my suit on, whatever, went in there, um, 
you know, I go through like a series of interviews and they're like, look, you're going to, uh, you're going to take phone calls and you're going to talk about our program. Uh, try to, you know, try to sign people up for this fucking program. Those inbound calls. And we're going to pay you this amount. I remember what they put down there. It was like, it was $18,000 a year or something like that. Uh, but because it was like two to 11, I got a shift differential. So it was like $24,000 a year. And it like, I was like, Oh, this is like 1996. I'm, I'm rich. And so I just fucking took it. And 24 years later, I was doing that. That's how it started, really. So what's so you started out doing um, that sort of like in, taking incoming calls. But you were yeah. working there for a while. So how did that, what sort of stuff? So, yeah, so I start, Apart from the, what you can't tell us because of all the NDAs you signed. Dude, I'll, uh, I'll fucking say all of it. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, that's, about, Gonzo, that's yeah. Gonzo shit right there. you were working in a bank in 2008, and, you know. Oh, yeah. Some oh, people might like oh, to know. You know what? Well, let me give you... So I'll, I'll give you, like, the short version, and I'll tell you what happened in 2008, because that was that was wild stuff. Because by 2008, I had, like, my politics were pretty set. And so seeing it from the inside was... <sighs> Have you ever seen the David Lynch film Eraserhead? It was like that. Um, but anyhow, so yeah, I started um, just taking inbound phone calls about like giving people low interest rates for loans and ba like balance transfers and shit. And then I moved over into uh, because I was like, I don't know why, man, I'm just a good bullshit artist. They moved me over into the the, the part where you convince people not to close their account. Then after like four or five months. They moved me into a department where you actually make the loans. You're like, oh, this person gets $2,000. This person gets $5,000. This person doesn't get shit. And they just teach you how to do that. But MBNA at that time was real stuck up. It's like, you know, you wanted to go somewhere where you could, you know, just kind of be casual. It's all suits and fucking real, real corporate. So there was a couple options in Delaware to go. So I went to First USA, did kind of the same thing. Made loans, uh, was in quality assurance, got laid off from there, went to Citibank, managed the team doing that. It's all, you know, it all runs together. Um, in 2008, I was at Wells Fargo Auto, and their deal was uh, like subprime and non-prime auto loans. So we were like right, like one move away from like subprime non-prime mortgages so you know we all saw it coming um i remember riding around with somebody talking about like looking at houses for sale this is like 2006 seven <clears throat> and they were talking about houses for sale in my neighborhood the neighborhood i lived in in newark and they were talking about how they've gone up and this one's been sold twice for this and that and the other thing. And I was like, buddy, you know that's all fucking fake, right? He was like, what? I'm like, it's, it's fake. Dude, don't buy that fucking house. Are you, are you crazy? So don't do that. He was like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's like the savings and loan. It's a bubble, dude. You can't, like, it was like, it was like I was talking to somebody who didn't get it. And I actually understood that, like, it was going to get bad. Because this guy wasn't a stupid person. He owned his own business. He was an environmentalist. He worked like, like, he wasn't a fucking dummy. He wasn't a chud. 
he didn't get it. I'm like, dude, it's a ranch house in my neighborhood. They're, they're asking $400,000. Like, are, are you a fucking moron? Like, look at it. It's a working class home. But they didn't, they didn't get it. And so, yeah, I mean, it got real bad at work. Um, people were like yelling in meetings and like we, you know, some, some of us, I mean, I still know guys who I worked with who were, you know, who are socialists who were like, they're going to fucking, they're going to drag us out and fucking cut our heads off in the fucking parking lot. Like it was wild. And then I got laid off from there and I took like, I took about a year off when I got laid off from there. So is that during the, the crisis? That was after. Okay. Because actually here's how I time it. I wound up after getting taking all that money and <laughs> and doing Gonzo shit for a year, and then getting a job at Chase, but actually um, taking the money I was getting and and giving it to um, Occupy Wilmington downtown. Oh, yeah, yep. So I bought him like a bunch of heaters and a tent, and I was like giving him Occupy a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of like camping supplies, and I was like looking at Chase, and I'm like, I start there in a month. <laughs> and I'm buying, I'm buying Occupy fucking propane tanks. It was, it was pretty funny. So that was like uh, 2011, I guess, 10, 2011. Yeah, 2011. Yeah, that's it. And that was let. And then I went through, you know, I got, I went through Chase and got churned up and spit out after whatever seven years, something like that. So you start working for the banks around like 95, 96. 96. 96. I actually graduated. Um, I graduated from the University of Delaware the third weekend in May of 1996. I took one week off. I started an MBNA the first Monday of June in 96. Wow. So started in 96, and then you discovered sort of this uh, manufacturing content, uh, consent. Uh, so Noam Chomsky, Hunter S. Thompson. You started to get into that in like the 98, 99. Yeah, that's about right. So you had a little bit of layer over there where you, you know, were still fairly apolitical. So that still means that you were working for a bank as a leftist for almost 20 years. Yeah. So what was that experience like just on sort of a day-to-day level? Day-to-day? Yeah. Because obviously you, you sort of described the situation around like the, the real bad parts of sort of the 2008 crash. But, yeah, you know, there's still stuff that you were doing. When things were well, I'll tell you one story, and then I'll try to like give you like a general thing. I remember driving, and this is like '98. Like I was still at MBNA talking about taking those phone calls, like I was talking about, and thinking like, "Is this the daily bump and grind? Am I going to be able to do this? Like being sick, like feeling sick to my stomach?" And I was like, "Well, just got to fucking roll with it. I guess this is the only thing you're going to do." Um, but the day to day was was bad but i mean what i did was i i i acted out in my personal life just to like just to like cover it up like i could go into like a i could go into like a, a fugue state for for eight hours you know and if somebody asked me a question i could probably answer it or if somebody asked me for a document i could probably produce it or if somebody asked me to take two phone calls i could probably take those two phone calls or i could check this or do that or do that but once I was out of that, it was fucking batting down the hatches. So, you know, it was more like that's how I dealt with it. Like, yeah, and we can get into it if you want. If you want me to get, I, I don't give a fuck. Like I was, you know, <clears throat> I think I mentioned before I was married before. I had a 
my first wife. And it was it was wild. I mean, it was like party, drugs, um, travel, all everything. You know? And uh yeah, I mean I figured if I was gonna take the money, fucking do it. So I feel like that's kinda how I dealt with it. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but in retrospect it seems like it probably is. And then um yeah, so around the time I got laid off at Wells Fargo and I started um I started sort of working with Occupy, bought the house, met Susan, and I'm like, well, obviously nurse Susan's shit like I got to I got to get my shit together cuz I'm getting divorced. I got laid off. Yeah, that divorce was something else, boy. As you can probably imagine. But so I get the job at, at Chase and I'm like, okay, I got the new house. Susan's like a regular person. Let me try to get my shit together. And uh, yeah, so I feel like now that I got my shit together and I've been churned through that thing, I'm going to try not to do that thing anymore. So how did, how did you meet Susan? Because we, we talk about Nurse Susan. She's never appeared on the show, but we, we talk about her a lot. She's, I mean, she's the best. So here's here's what's funny. I don't know if this joke works, and it's funny because with technology, it might not work anymore, but five years ago, I would say, somebody say, how did you meet Nurse Susan? I would say, well, how do people meet people? Oh, internet dating, right? So, but I'm actually of, of this, I, I've been on one internet date, one, and it was with Susan, and now I've been married to her like 11 years. Match.com. It's true. Which is weird because now that's what everybody does. But for a while, it was like there was a when it started, it was like not a it was a stigma. And then it was like, hey, just do what you want to do, whatever. And like, of course, I was already I was married. And so when I got divorced in 2009, um, it was like, well, I guess I do like Internet. I, I, don't, I don't know. Like I'm, I met people and went on other dates, but I'm like, well, I'll try this. <laughs> so I've been on one Internet date. That's really interesting because I feel like I wonder if Match.com's like algorithm is better or something. Because I feel like I've heard, from, I've heard from like several people who became single in their like mid to late 30s and onwards who are like, yeah, I went on one Match.com for like date. Now I've been with this my partner for like eight plus years. And I it's don't like, I, you know, I can't. Maybe Match.com should like overtake Tinder. Who knows? I don't know. Um, so all Susan's friends are like, have you ever told them you should go? You should get do it. Do it like a, a, vi- a viral video. I'm like, I don't, I don't, we're not going to do that. Match.com sponsors this podcast. <laughs> we're not taking money from Match.com. <laughs> so we've talked about, <clears throat> we've talked about early Rob, baby Rob. We've talked about bank Rob, the development of socialist ooh, Rob. Ooh, I, I like bank Rob as a name. Bank Rob. The bank robber. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's actually I like that actually and so now we've gotten to like 2010 let's call it Redemption Rob I like it Redemption Rob I like it uh, so you you got involved so how'd you get involved in like the Occupy Delaware stuff or how'd you like meet those people like how'd you start helping out also was that your first time like participating in a movement per se I guess would you say that's a good question um, I remember 
uh, Obama during his campaign spoke in Rodney Square on a Saturday. And it was a big deal because he was like rising in the polls. And you're like, this guy's going to be president. And everybody went to Rodney Square and listened to this guy talk. So it was like 2007, eight, I guess. <clears throat> and I was like, man, we can really do something here. Uh, my ex-wife was a teacher. So we were talking about these education issues and like something's going on. You could, you know, and the economy was, I mean, I knew what was happening there. So I was like, maybe now's the time to actually to do something. Okay. <clears throat> so that was kind of what started my, like the intellectual being the active, like taking what you know and going and doing it. And then, you know, Obama sucked. And uh, when nothing happened, I was like, I don't know what to like really what to do now. I just I finally it took like the way that the business cycle worked. It took several quarters, maybe years actually, for me to finally get laid off from Wells Fargo. So that was like you know a year and a half later after you know it was like 2010. Mm-hmm. Would you say this? It, it sounds like you. It's it's kind of this mentality of like at the time you still place a lot of your faith in like a candidate, like very like representative, like of of that kind of being like you know like you mentioned kind of like. I'm saying kind of like so much. I'm so sorry. But like you becoming excited about this movement because there, it's attached to a certain candidate in their campaign. And then when the presidency like didn't follow through, like feeling a bit just like lost. Yeah. It yeah. seemed like a, it seemed like uh, it, I, I was finally. And again, I remember like I had a little apartment uh, before I was married the first time. I was working at like Citibank in Actually, it was a Rundle. Remember, we were talking to Stephanie Barry when I was oh, yeah, Rundle. I voted for uh, Al Gore, and so I was around for the whole Gore, the Bush Gore, the, the Supreme Court. And you didn't know what was going to happen and all that shit. So that was something, and so I was still like in, but it didn't, it it didn't um, invigorate. Yeah, it didn't inspire me until like, oh, this guy Obama is going to be diff. This is something really important. This is going to be a thing, and then when it wasn't a thing. I was like, well, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to have to really, um, we're going to have to do something different than electoral. And again, I don't, um, <laughs> I mean, it's obvious. I don't shun electoral politics. We talk about it all the time. We work with candidates. We talk to candidates. I mean, we have to focus on electoral politics because we don't, <sighs> we can't just do something that's going to get a bunch of people slaughtered in the street. I'm not afraid to do that if it comes to that. But like the fir- first order of business is to not have tens of thousands of people slaughtered by the Navy SEALs on our homeland. Like that's not going to work. And so, yeah, I do have some kind of uh, affinity towards electoral politics. It's um, also not everything. But no, yeah. exactly. It's not everything. Even I mean, even Bernie would say that. Even if Bernie wins by, you know, uh, some miracle and we do it, that's just the beginning. We're going to have to go, you know, state to state, town to town. We're going to have to be in the street more after he wins to do all of this. But and, and will it work? I don't know if it'll work. I know what we did before didn't work. So I don't want to do that again. That's kind of my like my vision. Like, OK, I voted for Gore. OK, the, the Supreme Court took that away. I voted for Obama. He appointed a bunch of Goldman Sachs people to his cabinet and and droned uh, fucking civilians. So, like, I did that now. I did that. 
I voted for Clinton. She got beat by Trump. I fucking did all that. I'm fucking not doing that anymore. Do you know what I mean? Now's the time to fucking do something that's outside of that and get fucking real. So that's sort of, I guess that's how I would explain my, um, my evolution. Mm-hmm. Because I did that. Doesn't work. Fucking stop doing that. Tired of that. And so that sort of brings us to more modern day. I mean, this is all modern day. I'll, I'll try not to be too uh, Gen Z about it. Uh, <laughs> this guy, Zoomer. Can you believe? Can you believe there's a Zoomer? I'm like right on the edge, to be fair. I, 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 you know what? <laughs> Good. Gen X is the worst, though. Is What is even Gen X? Like, at least boomers people make fun of. Gen X is like, you didn't do dick. Like, <laughs> we didn't do anything. Well, we Gen suck. X, we still make fun of them. They just never hear about it. Right. I hear about it, but I don't care because I, I'm a class trader. I'm a Gen X trader and a class trader. So how did you start getting... So I think we've talked a little bit about... So we had Occupy Delaware. You helped out a little bit there. Uh, you know, you donated stuff, getting propane, tents, all that. So when did you really start getting involved, like involved, involved in Delaware politics? Eugene. Yeah. So how how'd that start? I think we've talked. We actually talked about. Yeah, a you bit guys are going to hear this but, next week in our. Like this, a, oh oh oh, oh wait wait did we just give it away? Oh no, a St. Mark's alumni. What? Eugene's my brother, man. I love you, buddy. I hope you're listening to this. I fucking really do. I'm not even fucking around. Um, yeah, because because it was right in that. Um, It was right at that time where you you, you kind of see that uh, the the traditional thing's not working. The Obama thing didn't work. Like it was okay. It papered over a lot of bullshit that people didn't want to face. But like you know, if you are, are a sentient human being, you're like, oh, that's fucked up. And so when I heard that not only was somebody stepping up to challenge Dennis Williams, but it was somebody was a grassroots person, somebody of the left. I knew that that was, that was the way to go. I knew because, you know, my pop, my pop always, my pop's pretty political guy and, uh, he's like a boomer. So it's kind of, you know, there's a clash there. But his idea is like politics is always local, like that trope, like that cliche. But I remember thinking with Eugene, this is local. This is it. This is actually how we're going to do it. And so it was Eugene, yeah. I mean, and then, of course, I met uh, Drew. I had a a meet and greet with Eugene here at the bunker um, when no no one knew who he was. Like the 10 people who came here met him for the first time. And then I met Drew after that. And I just knew that that was the, like that was the, they were doing the thing that needed to be done. Yeah. And so that was it. Then a few months later, 234 votes short. Um, so you were there for like that first network Delaware meeting though, right? Yeah. I was there. And so that was sort of the beginning of, I guess, 
I mean, Eugene's campaign, definitely, and then also the network more broadly is sort of what has led to everything that has happened since then, really. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that there are probably going to be people listening to this who are like, well, we were doing this and we were doing that and we were doing the other thing. And and you were. I'm not going to say that no one was doing any political organizing or or political action before this. Because obviously... I mean, like, were. Brian Townsend took down a corrupt... I mean, for what you can you say know, about Brian to... Townsend... <laughs> But he did, like, he ran the type of campaign that, like, a Eugene or something ran, regardless of what the outcome was after he actually got in office. Oh, boy. There were grassroots progressive campaigns. Do you see what, you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to get a rise out of me. I'm not going to fall for it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Guys like that, um, you know... <clears throat> I understand that people were operating in good faith. Like, I understand that the only avenue that people had was to do things a certain way and, and to try to tell, to try to convince themselves that if I do this and get some power, I can make some incremental change. I actually don't question their motives at the beginning. I, I don't. What we're going to have to start to question is what they're doing now. Like the, you know, whoever was like, whoever was like really supportive of Al Gore. Uh, or whoever like, like I have, I think somewhere still in this house, there's a John Kerry for president t-shirt. Like I wore that. I didn't want George Bush to win. But like when you look at the results and you look at what's happening and you look at the context, you got to fucking grow up. That's not going to, that doesn't work. Like you just got to kind of evolve. So that's kind of where I'm that, that. So that the Eugene moment was that for me was like, okay, we got to, there's a bigger thing here or we're going to be in big trouble. So yeah, you were there for Eugene there for network. And then, this is a story that has been on the podcast several times, but you... Uh, <laughs> he always counts. You've told the story three times. You were there uh, in this house when Kerry ran. Yeah. One of the first, uh, the first public, or at her as a candidate, sort of meet and greets. Yes, we had a, um, we had like, I guess what what uh, Drew would call like a, like a, it was like a focus group. But it was like she would speak and we would all talk, but then they would leave. And then Drew would sort of like gauge strengths and strengths and weaknesses from the people who met her. So it was like that. But yeah, I think it was her first or second one we had here. Something like that. You and Josh got into a shouting match. <laughs> well, uh, I see, again, I don't think it was a shouting left match. Left angry. I mean, Josh left angry he because he's out, a miserable person. On the, on the sidewalk. Yeah, I mean, Josh is a look, look. Every picture and he went you back see to his home, not in Wilmington. Not in Wilmington. He doesn't even have it. Like, yeah, again, out in the what suburbs. Was, I'm so curious because I feel like I have heard this story a lot from like multiple people of like, this is how we knew like Rob was a thing, and but like, what was 
going through your head slash like spurred that reaction? Like, like, had you met Carrie before? Like, why did you like feel so strongly about that to like get in a shouting match with someone? Again, I, I, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna disavow the shouting match. <laughs> Again, maybe I did shout. I do speak very loudly. We do know that I have a very loud voice. Um, you project. Yeah, I'm a good <laughs> yeller. I've, I've probably told that story too. How I'm a good yeller. That's how I knew you, I feel like, for, like, months. Was that, like, here is Rob. We recruit him when he needs to just, like, scream at people. And then he doesn't usually get into much trouble because he is a white man. And Correct. It's like, Great. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had met um, I had, I had met Carrie once or twice before. I don't remember how. Like, I definitely met her once before. It could have been twice. Because I remember a particular conversation we had together and Susan wasn't here. Um, that was pretty... I still think about it. Let's put it that way. It was a private conversation we had. Um, right around that time. But because of the Eugene thing, because of what was happening in context, it became clear to me that this idea that, you know, we're just gonna ride we're gonna ride or die with Tom Carper wasn't good. Like that's not gonna work. Like, I know that Delaware, I know that we're full of a bunch of, I know it's like a rude mentality, and this guy's been here for 30 years, and he created the the, the culture and the, the tax haven that we have, and you're not supposed to do this. But I knew that that was wrong. And when a person, a regular person, a working person, a person of color, uh, uh, a, a person who uh, identifies as a lesbian or a, a, a LGBTQ person. I know when somebody had the guts to fucking step up and say, you know what, I'll, I'll fight Carper. I'll do it. I knew that that person needed all of our energy. And while you should critique that person, and uh, in, in, uh, everybody needed to get, before we critique it, we all need to say that we're all on board 100%. Because that person's going to take a lot of hits, and I don't want any dissent. I'm not, and I'm certainly not going to have any in my fucking house. Uh, but I love Josh, you know. <laughs> so now we know what was actually said. There was, there's been this. I didn't say any of that, though. I don't think yeah. I said any of that. That was in my mind. That's what I was thinking. But I think Josh and was it just makes like. A lot of sense. I, 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 and I, I've said this before. That I, the one thing that I remember from this exchange was that Josh was like. Uh, or 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 Kobe maybe said it, and Kobe and Josh were together. Well, what what uh, what, what committees are you do you want to be on if you're in the Senate? And I was like, who gives a fuck? What the fuck are you talking about? This is technocratic horseshit. Like we have to win these. Like you're talking about how you're going to negotiate the final deal before we've won, before we've made any ground. This is fucking nonsense. That's what that's what uh, triggered me. I think because people talk about it just happened today. I had a conversation with somebody today who was talking about like, well, uh, with the with the with the minimum wage, we have to look at what happened in Seattle and maybe I mean there's cost of living adjustments and then inflation and I'm like, motherfucker, we just gotta fucking pay these people. Like you have to convince you have to convince people that their labor shouldn't be stolen and that nobody's labor should be stolen until before you figure out what the fucking calculation should be. They're trying to figure out what the fucking calculation should be 20 years ago before they convince people they should have the fucking living wage. And I think that's wrong. 
I think that the whole idea is wrong. And and Joshua Whitaker, I'm glad you brought it up on my home four years ago, and I'm glad I'm still pissed off about it. Because the same fucking shit's happening. This has turned into a Josh call-out episode. Doesn't even live in Wilmington! <laughs> that probably, you know, turn my gain up. That probably peaked. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a little inside baseball for you. <laughs> so I think uh, after the carry thing, so that brings us to end of 2018. And then, very shortly after, we're starting to talk about podcast stuff. So can you sort of walk us through the backstory of how all of us right here, sitting here right now, became a thing? Mm-hmm. And I guess, just to clarify, like, how did this take root in your mind? Like, yeah. obviously, I think, like, you know, I think you mentioned in bits and pieces in previous episodes of, like, how you, like, happened to meet me and, like, heard of Carl. And then, like, we got roped into this operation. But, like... When such how did I do to greet in your mind that like, oh, a podcast would be a cool idea and a great outlet and something that Delaware really needs? I certainly didn't know if it was something Delaware really needed. Um, I do feel like that's the way you like pitch it now, which I, I, I well, interesting, I, like I agree with, which is why I, I wonder if you thought that when you started it, I guess, as well. I knew it was something that 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 wasn't happening. Like I knew there was nobody else doing it. So that was like part of it. Um, but I had kind of thought about it a couple years before. Um, this idea that like my brother's a musician. Obviously, if you've been in a bunker, you know that we like art. Um, I have a lot of artist friends. Um, I'm a fan of like fiction. I try to read fiction, you know. But, but I can't play an instrument. You know, my writing is mediocre. Uh, I can't sing. I mean, I can sing, but, you know. Oh, we should have that. So, like, (laughs) I've always been looking for some, like, sort of creative outlet. And I thought, oh, this would be, this would be interesting. Um, I remember talking to Lex Wilson um, and talking about, like, wanting to do this. He's like, I want to do some, like, news thing like that. This was, like, like, a year before. So finally, I just said, I'm fucking going to do this. Um, it was, you know, like this time this time last year. It was actually a little before that. It was like Thanksgiving of 2018. Because I knew uh, my job was like, I knew I didn't like it. And so I had this idea that if I started something and like it went south again, I would have something to like I could do that I would that I would like. And so there was a guy who lived in this neighborhood who my brother knew who was a sound engineer who had, a, who had a studio in his apartment that was like four times better. I mean, he had all kinds of crazy shit in there. But I said, like, I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, look, I read books and I like have a lot of opinions and like whatever. Um, I want to do something like Chapo or like Mark Marin or something like that. He was like, dude, I got you. And so he walked me through all of the equipment. And I found a place to do it. We just started. and But there was like a couple months there where I was like, I had to find a place to do it. I had to find somebody. Like he walked me through like the, the software, like the Logic Pro software. And I was like, I understand it, but like it's going to take me a while to figure out how to do this. I'd like to try to find somebody who not only is interested in doing that, but has my same like politics. But I had no idea whether I was going to find anyone. Um, but of course, I knew Drew Series. So, 
So, you know, we should just call this the Drew Series Memorial. I mean, like, like because he put me in touch with Carl. Because um, he was just like, hey, I know this guy at DSA at the University of Delaware who might, this might be something. Because I said, I think I said something about Chapo. So he was like, oh, DSA at the University of Delaware. Let's go to that guy. Um, and then, again, because the word was out when we went to the protest at Middletown, Kobe said something to you and you were like, oh, the, the podcast? And so, yeah, so you guys kind of got into it. But yeah, it was, I mean, it was, uh, it was a slow sort of thought. And then it was like uh, real slow and then all at once. That's out. Yeah. Just looking for something else to do. It took me a long time to figure out what my creative outlet would be. I guess I found it. And here we are. Here we are. Almost exactly one year later. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember like <clears throat> I was, I was buying equipment and figuring out where to set it up at our, we do have a, uh, as I've mentioned before, we have a, uh, a Eugene V. Debs fellow. Thank you very much. I'm not going to say his name because I don't know what his, um, Still don't know what his immigration status is, uh, but yeah, he was uh, he was an early. Uh, it's El Chapo. That's <laughs> he's very generous. <laughs> so, and you know he's got money. Is he, he in jail? Is he on the run? We don't know. We don't but know. we is get he... the money either way. So, <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's it sort of started out like that. I will say we did. Um, I had a friend of mine uh, several years ago who had a nice microphone and some equipment, and we we recorded some like um, some English Premier League podcasts. That were like, you know, a mess. Was it very like men in suits or or men in blazers? Yeah, yeah. it was sort of like, kind of like that, but mm-hmm. like years ago. And actually, I think, I think, uh, I think Bert still has some of those, like on like a CD or something, or like on a, a no, CD. I don't even. No, no, no. He has an MP3 f- file because obviously, you know, the guy who, uh, our, our friend who died, uh, the Liverpool fan who t- took his life. Uh, but we still have some of those, actually, like the raw audio. And it was only one uh, microphone. It's pretty funny. But yeah, so we were fucking around for years thinking it would be something that we could do. But nobody ever did it. And I don't know why I did it, to be honest with you. Gonzo shit? Probably. It's Gonzo shit. It's Gonzo shit. It's what it's all about. <laughs> so we have to, before, um, I have to say this. So the, the seminal work of Gonzo journalism is a, an essay that Thompson wrote in a magazine called uh, Scanlon's, I think. So they sent him to the Kentucky Derby to cover the Kentucky Derby. But, like, he meets Ralph Steadman, who is the famous illustrator um, that everybody knows who did, did that and did the uh, the um, the uh, Rolling Stone stuff and did the illustrated some of his novels and stuff. And so he did go to Kentucky and he did meet Stedman. And um, so all of that happened. But the story he wrote is just, uh, you know, a, a maniacal sort of story about like spraying people with mace and, and, and drinking whiskey and, and going crazy. So and you never know how much is true and how much isn't. Um, so if anybody really wants to understand, and it might take you maybe 30 minutes to read. It's called the, Kentu- the Kentucky Derby is Decadent and Depraved. It's like this seminal uh, essay. Are you familiar with it? No. Yeah. So it's it's online for free if you if you just Google the Kentucky Derby is decadent like and it. depraved. Yeah, that's that's the original piece of Gonzo journalism. All right. So we're just about an hour in, so I think it's about perfect length here. So we'll uh, then close it out. So consider a patronage. 
We got a $2, got a $5, got a $100 Eugene V. Depp scholarship, or whatever. You can, uh, you have, uh, you have some production privileges, I can tell you. Yeah. That. We've had people come in that were, or they were arranged by our Eugene V. Depp's fellow. That's true. It's accurate. Uh, yeah. Lula's free. God, we got to get, uh, Got to get Chelsea Manning out. We got to get all the prisoner political prisoners out. She's still in there. You can write a letter. We got the information on how you can write a letter. Uh, yeah, that's all. That's all, folks. Uh, see you soon. And uh, left is best. If you weren't going to say left is best, I was going to freak. <laughs> <laughs>